we're going to um, be in Matthew chapter 18. We're noting commandments from God during his own personal ministry, the Lord gave instructions. And we're getting on down the way in his, in his uh, ministry of three and a half years. And this morning we come to Matthew chapter 18, which uh, is going to require us to go beyond just the, the commands that are here and talk about some things. I think that uh, what we're going to look at this morning has probably become one of the more mis, uh, not necessarily understood, but it's neglected in uh, in our lives. Beginning there in verse 15 of Matthew 18, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And with that verse, we get into the area that's known as church discipline. There are two commands. Remember that these commands are given by Christ. They're not options. They're commands. And so he says there, the first command that we see is the real word go in verse 15. Well, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Didn't say that when somebody in the church trespasses against you, that you're to run over to your favorite church member and, and share what happened. But it says to go to them. And then the second command in this passage is found there where it says in 17, tell it unto the church. And so when it's a command, it's not optional. So when you're, somebody has wronged you, they trespassed against you, you're to go to them. And if they don't hear you, you just can't let it go, but it needs to go to the church. Now, uh, when we talk about church discipline, um, I think it's necessary for us to go a little bit further than uh, what this one passage is. But there's, there's three areas that need to be addressed when we're in this idea of church discipline. The first one, and it is addressed here, is, is personal, personal problems between members. The second area that we'll have to leave Matthew and go to 1 Corinthians is, is public sin of a church member. And the third is 
the departure of a member, a church member, how do we deal with that? Um, and so let's just first uh, note this passage. I think that before I really jump into it, we need to we need to understand what is the purpose of this. And I think that it's not retaliation. It's not calling them on the carpet. It's not running over and tattling uh, to the church and saying so and so did this. To but the, the, but the purpose of all of this is found there in the last of verse 15. That thou, thou hast gained thy brother. That we have a responsibility to try to gain our brother. To salvage relationships. Um, Maybe a, a couple of verses on that, or at least one. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That we are we are to admonish one another, that we're to encourage one another, to to uh, um, point out concern for for one another, and so this first uh, this 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 passage here, when we talk about its personal problems. It's a, it's a matter that the public doesn't know about. It's a personal matter, which has the, which has the potential to affect the tranquility and the, and the peace within the local church. Not, not every little piddly thing that happens between you and another member it's going to affect the tranquility of the church. And in fact, Paul wrote one place uh, uh, talking to two women, and uh, he tells them uh, to, he says in Philippians, I beseech Euodius and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He wasn't saying, you know, that you and Philippi need to bring them uh, up before the church, but he's just saying, tell them that they need to get along. and. And so, when we're talking about these personal problems, we're all going to have personal problems. We're all not going to, we're not going to necessarily agree with each other. But when something happens, and it's definitely sinful from one member to another, and it's going to affect the, the peace of the church, it's going to affect the tranquility in the church, it's going to affect your relationship when you walk through the hall and one's on one side, one's on the other, and no eye contact is made and, and no um, welcome or reaching out or saying hello is attempted, then some things need to be uh, dealt with. And so the, the process you can see here is that you first uh, go to them privately and you tell them his fault. And sometimes what happens is uh, when you do that, 
the person that you had a you think that did something against you and his fault, he'll maybe say, well, I didn't realize that you thought that way. I didn't realize I was doing that. And uh, it can be dealt with. Sometimes they can say, hey, um, if you don't like it, lump it. You know, I'm not going to change. And then that can become a problem. But I would say probably the majority of the problems between church members could be settled if you just open up a avenue of communication and talk and talk to people and if he has the right attitude he'll say you know he'll want to make it right uh, if he hears thee thou hast gained thy brother now something I think we also need to understand is that in this passage is saying if someone has wronged you to go to them but also if you go back to Matthew chapter 5 in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that the brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And so there's two, two, two different scenarios. One, that I've, you've offended me, and yet that happens, and I need to go to you. The other is, you know that you've offended them, and you need to go to them. There's no, there's, there's not a possibility for either the offended party or the party that did the offending to say, uh, that, to just leave it alone. We, we both have the obligation. And so if you're sitting there and we're sitting there saying, well, they've wronged me and they need to come and apologize. No, if you have somebody that's wrong, you need to go to them. Or you can say, well, I know, I don't know what, I don't know what his problem is, but I know he has something against me. He just needs to grow up. Well, no, you need to go to them. And you may find out he has nothing against you. You may find out that he didn't enjoy his wife's cooking that night and it's coming up in his belly. You don't know, you don't know. You, but you'll never know until you go and talk to them. And what I'm saying is we don't have the, we never have the, we never have the option to sit on our rear ends when we know we have something or someone has something against us. It has to be dealt with. Uh, and so the first offers here, if it's rejected, you've went to them, and it's a matter again of a serious matter where it's going to affect the tranquility of the church. Then, you're to, then it says there that you take uh, one or two with you if, in verse 19, 16. But if thou will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And so, sad to say, sometimes when we go to a person privately, pride enters in. A chip can be on the shoulder. And that's why a second attempt of reconciliation is needed. And... Uh, Though it doesn't clearly point it out here, but if it's if it's up to this point have been a private matter, then those two or three that you take with you are should be have no uh, yeah well they should have nothing in the contest you know you don't have any you have no investment in it you you're just neutral and you're going there to establish the words, to make sure that 
that what's being said could be uh, established. I don't, it's not saying you, you go get your two best friends and you go over there, but it's some people that have just a total disinterest in it. And again, the goal is to gain thy brother. And the purpose of taking two or three is that every witness may be established. And they said this or they said that. Now, the point that we often overlook, and sometimes very detrimentally, is the first phrases of verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them. In my ministry, I've, I've had occasion where two or three have went, or one, one or two have went, and, uh, and to establish the words. But when the meeting was over, there was no definitive statement made. They just went back and, and that left them, well, I'm not going to get involved in this. No, when you take the two or three witnesses, they are involved. And it says if they neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. Those witnesses are responsible to say, maybe, maybe to the original party who went originally, they may say, listen, uh, brother, you've got this all wrong. You're seeing it in the wrong way. They may, they may need to rebuke him, or, the, or they may need to rebuke the other person, but they have to take a stand. And what, what you find in church matters, or matters between brothers and sisters in the Lord, is people don't want to commit themselves one way or the other. They just want to stay neutral. But they, that is not an option. When there's personal problems, and these problems have the potential to cause great division and problems within the church, then those two or three that went need to take a stand. And boy, I'm telling you, there's been times that I, at least on a couple of occasions, I was left hanging out to dry because they wouldn't say anything. Well, we need to, we need to understand that we're going there not only to hear everything that's said, and have a different view of it and, and listen, because a lot of times in these situations where there's problems between two people, two church members, they're not listening to what's said. They're just, they're just thinking about, what am I going to say back? And they're not really open or listening. And so, so if that happens, then they'll take it to the church, and then the church will make some kind of statement concerning that and and if he shall neglect to hear them tell it unto the church but if he neglect to hear the church let him be unto thee a heathen man and a publican which is uh, a church discipline they're no longer a part uh, of you um, now what's been the problem in the past is that when it's become public sin then the church has, has tried to deal with public sin in the, in, the, in, the way of, in the way of Matthew chapter 18. And so those, we, found, we find that this, this uh, member of our church has been sporadic in coming. And, and one day we drive by the Silver Spur and here's the member of our church coming out of the Silver Spur Obviously, he's been drinking and he's staggering around. And everybody, everybody knows that he's a member of the Baptist church. 
It's a public sin. Well, how is that to be dealt with? Well, it's not to be dealt with in the same fashion as private situations. In the past, I've known and, and been in churches where, where, uh, where public sin has taken place that they say, well, you, one person needs to go and then two people need to go and then the church needs to be involved. Well, that's, that, that's, not, that's not correct. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5. It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Most people think that this was his stepmother. But you can see that it wasn't a private matter. It's a common matter. And the, it was a public thing that was going on, that this man was sleeping and fornicating with his stepmother or uh, uh, maybe his own mother. That would have been incense instead of fornication. But, uh, and, you are, and you are puffed up and not rather mourn that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. So they were laughing about it and, and uh, they weren't sorrowing over it. For verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so gathering together implies, you know, the assembly, assembling. He says, when you gather together in my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved as in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven liveth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be, uh, be a new lump, as ye, have, as, ye are, are, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so he tells us, um, well, we could have read the whole thing. Let me go down to verse 11. The verse 10, and not the company fornicators, yet not altogether fornicators of this world, or the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, for they must needs go out of the world. And so um, he said, I'm not talking about people on the outside of the church. But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man be called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or railer, or drunkard, or extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them within, but them that are without God judges. Therefore put away from among yourself that wicked person. And so it's an event that's publicly known. And I, and I want you to see here in verse 4, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, in verse 5, to deliver such a one unto Satan. And so in this, in the public sin, he doesn't say, uh, take, go to him one on one, and then two or three more, three on one, and then the church. 
which would be maybe over a week, maybe two weeks. No, he says, when you come together, we, we know this guy is, is, is being a drunkard. He's going and partying and he's getting drunk. He says, when you come together on your next meeting, he's out. Well, people say, well, nobody went to him. Well, they can go to them after he's out. You don't have to wait to put him out. You can put him out immediately. Why? Why would we want to do that? Because the leaven is spreading. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. To delay does him no good, and it surely doesn't do the church any good. And I think that, I think that that's been messed up a lot within Baptist churches. But that's the clear teaching. And, and it's not that we're not giving them a chance. You know, I guess you could send the pastor go and talk to him before you exclude him. But, uh, and, and that'd be going the second mile. You don't have to do that. But eventually, you do have to go communicate to him. And again, the purpose, what's the purpose of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Well, one is to protect the church, to keep leaven from spreading. But the second reason is we're trying to salvage the person. This, this, uh, this sinful activity is not going to end up good for him. And the whole purpose of church discipline is not to somehow retaliate or be mean, but it's to salvage, 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 salvage. The Lord is in the saving business, but the Lord is also in the salvaging business. And, and once we're saved, we can fall into sin. And especially if you get out of going to church, you're going to really be weak. But, but the, the issue is that these, these matters are dealt with um, in a different fashion. They're to be dealt with swiftly. You can see there that, he, that it says in verse 4, to, to, to deliver, uh, gather together my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. We're trying to save the spiritual man. And, and he talks about um, uh, verse 7. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Get rid of it. That you have a new lump, as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then he tells us in verse 11, And I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man is called a brother, be a fornicator, a covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. And that's, <laughs> I'll tell you, when you do church discipline, when a church is involved in trying to salvage a member, it gets uh, pretty uh, bizarre. And people have, uh, because they're fighting, trying to uh, justify their activity. But uh, the leaven is going to affect the church. And he says, this is how far I want you to go. I don't want you to eat with them. I don't want you to accompany with them. He's not saying that when we pass them on the street, we wouldn't say, hello, brother, how you doing? But, but he, is, he is saying, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. You know, come on over, we'll have a barbecue. 
No, this leaven is affecting each and every individual member that comes in contact with it. And there ought to be, ought to be uh, something punitive. And he says, he says here, to put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Because every moment of delay, the, the sin is expanding throughout the whole. Now, there is a case to be made for, for three kinds of correction that can be, or discipline. <coughs> There's instructive discipline. There's corrective discipline. And there's punitive discipline. Now let's understand, I'm abbreviating this, but let's understand all this really is discipline. But it's a matter of discipleship, isn't it not? And so in our home, in our home, there can be instructive discipline. We tell our ch children in the spring, when the mud's out, take your shoes off at the door. And so, the little toddler comes in, or maybe a little bit older, or, you know, they, uh, they just want to come in for a little bit and get a, a cookie and a glass of milk, and why should I take my shoes off and track all over? Just, just something you're trying to do in your home. And uh, he doesn't do it. So corrective discipline enters in. And you say... Uh, Johnny or Billy, whatever, whoever name you want to use, whoever it is, take your shoes off. Come over here, sit down, I'll show you how to do it. Take them off, leave them right here. You just leave them by the door, and when you're ready to go out, you just stop and you stick them back on. Okay, Daddy, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And so, 20 minutes later, here he is running through the house, mud flying everywhere. And you make sure they understood what he's supposed to do. And you understand that he, was, he, he didn't do that just out of foolishness, although foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, the rod of discipline will drive it from him. But he's just saying, I'm not going to do that. I got my own agenda here. Well, there needs to be corrective, um, impunitive. So it, even in our lives and in the church, you know, as a person is born again, he begins to understand that God doesn't allow this. And we grow. We grow with knowledge. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and that's more than just salvation. But then there needs to be some clear instruction and corrective discipline and saying, you know, you can't do this. But if they won't listen, then there needs to be some 
punitive discipline. And the punitive discipline in 1 Corinthians 5 is that they're not going to have any more fellowship with you. Probably some of the finest people here, a, 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 a person who's been partying in the world and the world has been drawing him, the people who are the greatest individuals in his life, people who really care for him, are God's people. And he's not going to be able to be around them. And it's meant to hurt. <laughs> and so the sad thing that happens with church discipline is people want to coddle, they want to coddle uh, people who are in public sin that's been dealt with by the church. It'd be like, it'd be like uh, Nick Thompson, he'd be like, he gives a spanking to Rhea, which she needed, and then when she comes into the house, Casey says, oh, it's okay, it'll be all right, and instead of saying, hey, you got what you deserved. And you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Thompsons are the same page, but you know that in a home that's like that, there's trouble, there's going to be problems. Well, discipline requires that. Now, let me know, let's, let's, um, there's really, sin. There's, um, I'm going to put this down here. There's three categories, three areas of public sin. One is uh, immorality. And we all understand what that means. Two is a disorderly walk. And the third is heresy, teaching error. Um, immorality would include the sexual sins, as we see there in verse 5, fornicators. He's a wicked person. This person here that was living with his father's wife was a wicked person. Covetousness and idolatry. Is mentioned here. I think that sometimes we let idolatry off pretty easy that we're not bowing down to any Indian idol. This one man says, there are Christians who worship the mighty mammon more than the almighty God. And those whose idolatrous actions are outwardly manifested to the reproach of the Lord and his church should certainly be dealt with by the church. Pleasure is classified as idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, where, which, which may take many forms as when Christians absence themselves from the Lord's house in order to visit relatives or play golf or go fishing or engage in sports activities or even just watch television. This giving of personal pleasure more than the place in the affection that God has cannot be, cannot but incur God's displeasure. 
And so is God first. Then it mentions the railer. The railer is somebody in church who's foul mouth. He, he uh, is abusive in his speech. He uh, is a railer. And drunkenness, of course you know that we live in a day when drunkenness is considered a disease. But every man takes a drink on his own free will. And drunkenness is improper. A disorderly walk, look over in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Sorry. I thought I brought my, oh, I better sit in my office. What time is it? 15 minutes? Oh, man. Maybe even a rabbit this morning. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, I finally found it. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves, church discipline, from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the traditions received of us. Disorderly. Things that are disorderly in nature and that reflect back upon the church. In this passage, we understand that he's talking to the brethren. That's the church, finally brethren. It's spoken with the authority of the Lord, for the word of the Lord. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the command is to separate. The reason to disseparate is because it's disorderly, personal clashes, personal opinion, has become a competition. And then Paul said further, he says, after the, after the traditions which he received of us, and often that word tradition is kind of a negative word because they're just doing that by tradition. But here it means what has been taught by the apostles. And then the third category is heresy. And now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have heard and avoid them. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is such as subverted and sinneth and being condemned of himself. And so a heresy has no place in the church. You can't wink your eye at it. You can't say, well, I know this guy is a Calvinist, so let's, but he's a good guy. Let's go ahead and take him as a member. Let's let him teach in Sunday school. 
No, it says to reject them, which means to avoid them, to shun them. And so what we have so far is personal problems, not every little picky thing, but problems that develop between you and another, that it's a command that you go to them. Keep your mouth shut and sharing it with your best friend. And I share it with, I said, you know what brother so-and-so did? And oh, he did that? And, and, and then he goes and says, hey, did you know what Brother Humphrey told me? He told me that so-and-so did this and this and this. In the meantime, I've talked to that guy and he said, oh, I didn't know I did that. I'm so sorry. And so now what we have, me and this guy is okay, but I got two and three and four people down the line that are still upset because of what he did. We can't have that. But that's our tendency. And I have to quit. And then when they won't hear, we take it to church. Public sin, deal with immediately. Immediately. And salvage afterward. And those things are immorality, disorderly walk, and heresy. Okay, so what then about a person who's become a member? They say that they've been born again. They become a member. They come for a couple of months, maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe four years, maybe five years. And then they just say, uh, I don't want to be a member anymore. At one time we had uh, ongoing ministry where we would teach uh, lessons called Basic Bible Truth in the Home. But those lessons kind of geared towards a time, you know, that it would actually have a point on a timeline that I got saved here. Where did you get saved? And it kind of developed in the mind of those people who are taking the lessons. This guy spent five lessons with me, and he's anticipating at the end of that something should happen. And something did happen. I remember a guy named Jerry, Jeremy Millington and Walter Butcher and Kenny Haskins and Robbie Douglas. These were all people that had went through a series of lessons and professed to have been saved. And uh, at least four of those were baptized. But in the less than two months, they were gone. Now, what do we do with those guys? Well, here's Jeremy Butcher. He's saved, he's baptized, but he don't come to church anymore. And, and I go down there and I say, listen, Jeremy, if you don't come back to church and get going and serving the Lord, we're going to exclude you. He's saying, so what? I'm not going to church anyway. And if, especially if he's not involved in public sin, I think we need to understand a couple of things. Go back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. It's probably, you know, we have in Bible institutes and special classes on Sunday school and maybe the pastor. We have all these lessons about soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. 
and he that won his souls is wise. But Matthew 13 is probably the best instruction about soul winning and all the soul winning and all the Bible. And remember, only one soil type produced. And you find there in chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, he says, Some fell upon stony places where there had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And then he explains that down in verse 20. But he that received the seed into the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. And so what it's talking about in Palestine and many places of the world, uh, we, have, we have the field. But in some places of the field, under the, underneath the topsoil, which is very thin, there's a rock. Sun's, sun rays come down. The rock gets hot. These plants, the plants on this area, come up quicker than in the areas where there's no rock that, that absorbs the heat. They come up. But as the sun keeps coming down, and the sun keeps coming down, these wither away, while these have soil to go into, and they become very hardy. And so he says in Christianity, there's going to be people who look like they got saved. They, you know, they, 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 they popped up really fast and you thought, boy, these guys are going to be really a force for the Lord. They're, they're in it. They're really dedicated. And then a little bit of, little bit of trial and problems coming up. And actually the real nature is evidenced. And they're not saved at all. Look over in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2. Now look in verse 19. Talking about quote, Christians. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that might, they, they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One and, and you know all things. And so there's something different about the stickers. Not that they spring up real fast and, Pastor, you got any work for me to do today? And, boy, these guys are really on fire for the Lord. But the real stickers, they have something, an unction. There's something in them that keeps them keeping on, keeping on. The Spirit of God. And so, when we come to church discipline in this lesson, the thing that, the command of this is this. 
If you got something against someone, and and uh, it may be it may be um, trivial, but it's still stuck in your craw. You go to see them. If you know someone's got something against you, go and see them. But if it's a matter where there's members within the church that use members, you just tolerate each other. And you've come to A wall. Then it's going to it's going to result in affecting the church. You did, the command is this: go, go tell them. And the command is: if they won't hear, go tell the church. We're having an option on that. Because God wants his church, the bride, the local assembly, to be uh, pure, to be lovely. But it's composed of a bunch of saved sinners. And if we love people, we'll try to salvage people. Remember what the word said there? If you gain thy brother, It's horrible to come to church and know that there's some people that you can't talk to. Is it not? And so the Lord's saying, this is a command. This is not an option. And sometimes we need to understand this in closing. There's a little doctrine in the Bible called forbearance. And everything about you doesn't need to stick in my craw that I don't like. That I'm going to forbear. I know that you're never going to quit doing that. <laughs> it's irritating to me. It's not heresy. It's how you, it's how you function. And I just forbear. Because you never shut the lights off when you leave your classroom. And I have to go and turn the lights off. I have to go and turn the lights off. Or in the home. That your spouse never, they'll pull the drawer out and they'll get their underwear out or their socks or whatever. And it seems like they don't understand that that drawer goes both ways. It always remains out. And you could have a big explosion. You left the drawer out again! Or you could just push it in and go about your day. Forbearance. Okay? That's part of biblical teaching too. <laughs> it sounds like you guys can relate to that. Well... Give your Christian brother and sister a break in some areas. But where you know that this continues on, it's going to hurt the church. You've got to go deal with it.
And a lot of times, again, I would say the large majority, I'm not going to put a percentage on it, but if you just go talk to someone, they'll say, well, I never, I never meant that when I said that. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm, I would never want to hurt you. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Those aren't hard words to, to know, but they're hard words to slip off the tongue, isn't it? I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you in the Lord. All right. You're dismissed.